It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today, I actually have great news to share with you. We're finally getting some clear, meaningful rights when an airline does this wrong. And I'm going to fill you in. And later, wow, PetSmart has been in the news, not in a good way. And they're just one example of a company that is engaging in a practice that, in my opinion, rips off its workers. And I want to warn you about what might be happening where you work that could really hit your wallet later big time. So the nation's airline industry has been in a mess. Uh, They are way short of employees because the things I talked about before about how airlines, in order to try to survive the early phases of COVID, got huge numbers of their employees to quit with special incentive packages And then air travel came back and is now larger. Air travel is bigger than it was pre-pandemic. More people are flying on a typical day. Like, for example, the recent Labor Day holiday, more people flew than flew on Labor Day 19 before COVID. So we've come all the way back. Air travel is ultra strong and the airlines don't have enough people. And I talked uh, months ago about the tragic circumstances of people in wheelchairs missing their flights because airlines don't even have people to push wheelchairs and customers sitting there are missing their airplanes stranded because of this. It's just one example about how the airlines just don't have it together right now. And some of the jobs you just, just like poof, you just don't create people out of thin air when you consider the extreme training that mechanics require and the extreme, extreme, extreme training that pilots require. So the shortages are going to go on for a while. So it means airlines are stretched too thin and anything goes wrong and you can end up stranded. So the Department of Transportation has used the bully pulpit brilliantly. They have required airlines to post what their policies are in the event of a delay or cancellation. And these are so clear that public pressure has forced airlines to do much more than they were doing before the new DOT dashboard. And so it shows what happens with cancellations because an airline was short a crew or they had a mechanical or whatever. And then what happens with delays. And so in each case, you can look at an airline. So like, let's look at the worst right now, which is on this frontier. So frontier, you get either a check mark, a green check mark that you do something or an X that you don't. And the airlines are judged on 10 categories. I'll talk about in a second. Frontier on six of the 10 says life's tough and then you die. By comparison, American, Delta, JetBlue and United, all 10 of the questions are now going to do things that are customer friendly. And then others are in between. So they're going to rebook you 
on their airline at no cost when they have a problem. Obviously, they should. Everybody does that. They're going to rebook you, though, on another airline at their cost if they mess up with a delay or cancellation. Who's doing that? American, Delta, Hawaiian, JetBlue, and United. They're going to give meal vouchers on all airlines except Allegiant. Allegiant, just take your snacks with you because they're not going to feed you if they have a delay or cancellation. They're now at most airlines going to provide you a hotel room in the case of a long delay or cancellation that you're forced to stay overnight. So no more sleeping on a floor in a terminal stranded by an airline. The only case that would still happen is, let's say there was a snowstorm and everybody's flights canceled and there's no way there's going to be enough hotel rooms for everybody. But otherwise, they're going to pay for it. And so as you might suspect, Allegiant, Frontier, and Spirit are doing the least for you that's just because i mean they're hard discounters they're called hard discounters for a reason they make life tough but they also offer really really cheap fares a lot of times so this dashboard lets you know particularly if you're traveling in winter when you're more likely to have who knows what happened with a flight or during a holiday period especially knowing what your rights are is really great and it's so simple to look at because it's a simple colorful clear chart you know my thing always tell me what you're going to do to me tell me what you're going to do for me i want to know i believe that the most important thing any business should do is be transparent with you about what's involved with you doing business with them and when the chips are down what do they do for you so now Airlines buying you a meal, buying you a hotel, buying you a ticket on another airline in many cases. Are they just going to do it? No. You're going to have to be your own advocate. So knowing what is available to you, you want to go check. Who else has a flight to, let's say, you're in wherever and you're trying to go somewhere else and you're stranded there. It's your job to go search and see who else goes to where you want to go if the airline that canceled on you or had the heavy delay isn't exactly being forthcoming you do your own research go to google.com slash flights or something like that you can see all the flights on other airlines that might be available that day to get you to where you want to go now this dot chart if you go to clark.com we've got a direct link to it or you can go to dot.gov and work your way through the government menus to find it. But know that for the first time since, gosh, it's been 40 years since consumers have had a clear guide to what rights you have or don't have, depending on who you fly. Krista? Okay, I have some travel questions here for you. Your your, uh, flight misadventures lately you have not done this is all about me 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 because you could <laughs> you could fill a half hour talking about the problems you've had lately and strandings and all that why have you been so unlucky because um, I, I, like I, I fly as much as you and 
Yeah, I've I've had one trip where it was bad, but generally I feel like I've been lucky compared to like you know I see all the questions that come in, so I feel like I'm. <laughs> see, that's see why you. That's why you problems. haven't been whining about <laughs> yeah, your I've, cancels and delays. I have and all nothing that. to whine about at all. Okay. Okay. So this is from Chuck in Idaho. He says I was booking two award flights to Hawaii. I booked my wife's first, and she received a ticket for twenty two thousand miles. I then went to book mine, and the price jumped to twenty five thousand miles in a matter of minutes. Of course she had enough miles and I was now 2,500 miles short, forcing me to pay $80 more. Is this a coincidence or part of an algorithmic conspiracy? It's the algorithmic, algorithmic, can I say that word? Conspiracy. (laughs) Okay. So airlines do dynamic uh, demand pricing and seat allocations. So some airlines will say, hey, we have one seat left at this price. So we have three. Others don't tell you. And so when you're going to book and you're booking more than one person, you're redeeming miles from one account, redeeming from another, you're buying with credit card and you're using two different forms of payment. So you have to buy the ticket separately. So the allocation can end. But let me tell you the good news. If you had booked both at once, guess what the airlines do? Do you know this? It goes up to the higher right. number for Nobody both. Nobody yeah. gets the 22,000 miles. Both of you would have gotten the 25,000 miles. So booking one and then another, actually, you could look at it the opposite. It saved you 3,000 mile redemption instead of costing you 3,000 additional because you would have had 50,000 required instead of 47,000. But yeah, with how they do the dynamic demand pricing, uh, there are a number of factors that go into it, but the number of miles going up mysteriously after booking a single person or whatever, that's very common. Uh, if you're booking multiple people on a trip, know this trick. Put in first, what's the fare you're buying a ticket for cash? What's the fare for one person? Then see what it is. Let's say three of you go and put in what's the fare for two. Then put in what's the fare for three. And you may find that the fare does jump is you go from one to two or two to three, and you would want to split the reservation and book the first person or two in the lower fare, then go back and pick up the higher fare for the third person. Otherwise, all three end up paying the higher fare, booking it all together at once. And I think you'll love this from Daniel in Florida. He says, I was flying with Southwest and then flying back on a different airline. Well, I got COVID and could not fly out. And the return flight airline said there is a $50 cancellation change fee. And additionally, the baggage fees are non-refundable. Clark, this is why 99% of the time I take Southwest and I don't see how the other airlines don't see how they are forcing people like me to never take their airline. Do I have any chances of not having a cancellation fee or losing my baggage fees? So the cancellation fee is actually pretty rare today. Very few airfares domestic have a cancellation fee anymore. And this was a huge market advantage for Southwest. And the cancellation fees have started creeping in on some of the fare classes again with the airlines because they really haven't liked having to do it the Southwest way with the no cancellation fees. The baggage fees, when you don't travel, that's outrageous. And what I would do, Daniel, file a complaint with DOT.gov, the same federal agency I was just talking about with the dashboard, against that airline and see if they don't now come back and refund those baggage fees for bags that they never carried. You know, the other real annoying thing is 
American United and Delta push you so hard to pay for seat assignments on the plane. And typically, if you end up canceling the flight, they keep that seat assignment money. And that is a complete Clark Rages moment. Doesn't Southwest keep it too if you buy the early bird? I have no idea. I think they do. So you buy early bird and then I've never bought anything like that. Yeah, that's, I have. <laughs> and I've, I've lost it when I move flights. Okay. Why would you spend that money? If my husband's with me, we buy the early bird. So he's willing to do Southwest. Well, wait, you just check in 24 hours in advance and you'll. Not about me again. Dwight in Ohio says, I booked a bed and breakfast for a getaway. Then I forgot about it and booked a different bed and breakfast last week. After checking into the second one, the first one called and asked what time I'd be checking in. I apologized and she said, I could have booked it multiple times. If some, if I can get someone to take the room, I won't charge you. Then almost immediately after hanging up, she sent an email that said they canceled my reservation and my checking account was drawn upon for the cost of the entire stay. Do I have any recourse like dispute the charge with my credit union? Okay, so Dwight, this this is a terrible circumstance. And I hate to tell you that the B&B was probably within its rights to pocket the money. So if you go read the policy under your original reservation, you probably do forfeit the whole stay. With a hotel versus like, for example, if you booked on the Airbnb platform, Airbnb, it's common that you forfeit the entire stay if you cancel, depending on what the cancellation policy is. Many times with Airbnb, from the second you book it, you're in in non-refundability for the whole thing. Hotels, except in resort locations, use a different policy almost always. Let's say you had a multiple night hotel booking and you no show, or in your case, oops, I double booked. The hotel keeps one night and refunds the rest or one night and doesn't charge you the rest of the nights. And so this is one of the big disadvantages of booking with Airbnb or VRBO is what happens with the flexibility or lack thereof on a booking. So, Dwight, go back and look, and odds are, unfortunately, that they are within their rights and you would not be successful with a chargeback through your credit union. I wish I could be more positive. Can I just make a suggestion? Sure. Um, I, If you're someone who books travel a lot, which maybe Dwight is, because if, you know, if you're forgetting you book stuff, I use TripIt, but there are other services you can use where you immediately send your plans to those um, services and they keep a record of your travel plans and so it helps me to get organized in that way remember i booked the airfare there or a hotel there or whatever it is and use the free version mm-hmm. of trip it so that is that is a very good suggestion and Sorry, Dwight, i wish i could be much more positive here the only other thing i could suggest is if you regularly go to the destination where you double booked or if it would be fun to go back there See if the owner of this B&B will give you a credit towards a future stay since they already have your money, a time that they're not normally busy. Maybe you could go back and stay. It's up to the owner of the bed and breakfast, though, depending on their policy, what they'll do for you if they'll do anything at all. And I'm really sorry that really stings losing all that money. Something else that really stings, and that's when an employer says, hey, we got some in-service training we'd like you to do. Here, come on, sign up for this. Well, then what happens next 
can be really bad, ugly. And I want to tell you to be really careful now when your employer offers you any kind of training. I talked months ago about the scandals engulfing the trucking industry. The trucking industry is severely short of labor. Gosh, isn't that a theme? I was talking about the airlines being short of workers in every category, industry after industry short, trucking especially short, because people who become truck drivers, overwhelming number, more than half, drop out of truck driving within the first year because turns out to be not the job they were hoping for. And I talked how the truck driver training programs have been having the truck drivers where you go to a particular uh, long-haul trucking company, they say, hey, we'll train you for free to be a trucker. And what people aren't aware is they're signing an agreement that if for whatever reason truck driving doesn't work out for you, that free training now costs you a ton. And so you don't have a job and you owe thousands upon thousands of dollars. Well, now, according to MarketWatch, this same practice is happening to people who already work somewhere and an employer will say, hey, we'd like to promote you to this other job. We're sending you to training for the next so many weeks. And then you go to training and suddenly you're making more money and you're in this new job where you got the promotion. And then let's say you hate the job or they hate you, you're not good at it, whatever, and they demote you or they terminate you. What then happens? Well, unfortunately, employers are not behaving ethically in this area and you're already an existing employee and it's standard and normal that people working for a company are sent to additional training. But a number of companies are having you sign a document that says that if the training doesn't work out for you, they're then going to bill you for the employer-provided free training. There's a lot of fuss going on about PetSmart. PetSmart is way short of groomers. So PetSmart for cashiers and other employees will say, hey, we'd like to offer you an opportunity to work in our grooming department because, you know, pet grooming is a very lucrative area for uh, independent pet groomers and for the various pet chains to have grooming operations. And so pet smart employees will say, okay, I'd like a promotion. And they go to the training. And then according to MarketWatch, if they don't work out as a groomer because, you know, the turnover with grooming is gigantic because a lot of people just aren't suited for it. It's a hard job. And it may be one that you don't have the skill for. So think about somebody who does hair. How many people who want to work in a hair salon, it doesn't work out. This is somewhat similar, but you also have this animal that's squirming and all the rest. I mean, so you doesn't work out. You say, I want to go back to being a cashier. I want to go back to whatever it is. PetSmart then is billing you $5,500 for the free employee training. $5,500. You're already an employee. They send you to training and then it doesn't work out and then you owe them $5,500. Okay. That's really stupid, PetSmart. That is really a terrible way to treat people. And they're not alone. 
these what are called training repayment agreements are popping up all over corporate America. So I don't care who you work for. When they say, hey, we want you to go to this training, whatever paperwork you're sent electronically or in paper form, anything that you're expected to acknowledge, accept, whatever, you actually need to read it and know that that training your employer would like you to go to may actually be a commitment on your part to pay a money if you were to leave in a certain period of time to go work somewhere else or whatever it is. This is so crazy because it is traditional that employers send their existing workers because they already know them, they're a known quantity, they send them to internal training. And now to say, hey, we chose that we wanted you to go to internal training and then we're going to bill you back if it doesn't work out. This is completely different than if an employer has an external education benefit. Hey, go back and finish your college degree. Go get a master's degree, whatever. If you're going to an external institution, them having something in writing that they pay for it, but if you don't stay a year, three years, five years, whatever, that you owe some portion or all of that money back, people might expect that. You likely would expect that if you're getting an external training and education. Internal that's really sneaky and underhanded. And you got to be careful as that employee. Krista? All right. This question's from Jimmy in Florida. My wife and I paid off over $26,000 of her student loans during the pandemic payment pause and are now debt free. With the recent loan forgiveness decision, there are articles suggesting we call the loan servicer and get $10,000 of those payments refunded, then apply for forgiveness this fall. What do you think? I don't know. I've read things on this. I haven't seen anything that says that people who continued to pay their student loans, even during the time period, I assume these are federal student loans and not private, that people who continue to pay federal student loans during the payment holiday, that that money is gone. You met your obligation. You did what was expected of you. And now reality is you're going to be punished for having done that because you may not get the loan forgiveness. So I'm waiting for the final guidelines to come out. We don't have those yet. And then I'll be able to give a better answer to you. But right now, Jimmy, as best I know, you did what was expected of you. Plus, since no payments were required on federal loans during the pandemic, and having done that, your wallet's going to be punished for it. Maybe. And this is from Tim, also in Florida. Hey, Clark, I purchased a new Vespa scooter recently. The front brakes failed. The dealer said that it would be covered under warranty. Great. However, I've been waiting since June 30th for the parts to come in from Italy. The dealer is friendly, but he's telling me there's nothing he can do. So you paid a lot of money for that Vespa. They are not exactly cheap. I would see if the dealer could contact Vespa on your behalf, and what would be reasonable since they cannot do the warranty work and you're without the transportation, is that you be given a loaner vehicle while you're waiting for the repair. It is completely a normal kind of thing when you're, you have something under warranty that cannot be fixed, at least for now, 
to provide a loaner, and that's what Vespa should do, and the dealer should advocate on your behalf. Could be a, a used one that they took as trade-in or something like that in the intervening time period. And from Larry in Iowa, on a recent podcast, you talked about the need for renter's insurance. That made me wonder about all the students in dorm rooms. Should they also have renter's insurance? That is a great question. And the possessions that a college student has in his or her dorm room usually will not be large enough because the furniture is the school's furniture. You probably have a school-provided refrigerator. So what you're talking about for a typical student, they may have a flat-screen TV. Of course, they'll have computers, and they'll have their clothing. Normally, they're not going to have enough stuff that it would be necessary, but Lemonade's policies are so cheap, starting at $5 a month, that that's not going to be a lot of money per semester for the coverage that Lemonade might provide for the things that could be in there. But for a dorm room, usually there's not enough possessions there to make needing to insure it the same as somebody who's in a rental apartment with their own furniture and all their own stuff. So I would not put that I'm as not a priority. <laughs> You're not buying it? No. So does Claire have an 84-inch TV in no, her dorm room? No, she's in an eight person this year and they have a TV. I think it's a 36 inch in the living and room. And the school provides it? No, 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 oh, no. Okay. They chipped in and they, they sort of like as a group got some basic things that they needed. So 36 not, inch TV. We don't need That's renter's insurance. College, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're a football fan, that just wouldn't work. It's yeah. got to be at least, I, I don't know. know, 60 inch, 65 inch. Anyway. I hope that you found some use of today's podcast, that there's something we talked about today that you're able to put to work in your life. I want to dial back to what I talked about with the airline industry and the problems and all that. In the midst of that, I want to tell you there are lots and lots of deals for fall airfare travel outside of Thanksgiving and Christmas to a lot of places in the country. The fares are getting the point they're dirt cheap. So if you're in a position you can travel in the fall away from the Thanksgiving, Christmas holiday periods, go ahead and buy a trip. And anything we talk about on the podcast, you can see details of the websites and all the rest. You go to clark.com slash podcast. Have a great day.